Welcome back, friends, to the Mark Claire Show. It's my show, and I'm pleased to have you here joining me this week. We've got a great guest for you, Charlie Robinson of the Macro Aggressions Podcast. And don't forget, as always, as wild and fun and crazy as the main show is, it's always crazier. It's always wilder behind those paywalls when you get the extended editions of all these episodes. And we certainly got into some crazier topics uh, with Charlie after the main interview. So be sure to subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash Mark Claire show uh, at Rockfin or on Subscribestar. You can find all those links over at markclair.com. That's M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. That's also where you can find links to follow me on social media, links to find my Substack, which I really need to get into and start writing again. Uh, you can also find the link for the Telegram group for the show where we talk about the show, uh, share things around, bat around ideas, that sort of thing. So be sure to check all of that out. And without further ado, here is my interview with Charlie Robinson of the Macro Aggressions Podcast. With me today, he is the author of a couple of books, including The Octopus of Global Control. Maybe we'll talk about just what that is. Uh, he is also the host of the excellent Macro Aggressions podcast. I'm very pleased to welcome Charlie Robinson. Charlie, welcome to my show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to get weird with you. Something tells me we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have plenty to talk about here. Yeah, I think we will. And and before we get into you know some of the, the topics I plan to dig into with you today, just want to get to know you a little bit better so you can kind of take this from wherever you want. I actually heard uh when you were on my friend Buck Johnson's show Counterflow, I realized we actually have a little bit in common. We both have a, a little bit of a background with some of the, the mainstream sports media. So uh maybe you can touch on that if you like. But uh eventually I would like you to get us into how you got into all the stuff you talk about on the Macroaggressions podcast, which is really, well, I'll let you describe it a little bit more, but take it from wherever you want. Well, one of the things that I go crazy about in my show is the mainstream media. I despise them. And part of the reason why I despise them is because um, I'm a co-owner of a sports media training company that helps get professional athletes ready for the draft, ready for interviews with general managers and coaches. Once they become professionals, gets them uh, comfortable interacting with the media after their playing career is done, gets them ready to maybe go into broadcasting and things like that, or just, you know, improve their interpersonal communication skills. Because a lot of them, are, you know, especially the tennis and golfers are sort of, you know, they're in this like solo sport and there's not a lot of interaction and mm -hmm. they tend to be kind of weirdos. And so we try to help them come out of their shell. So my role was to get these guys prepared for what they were going to be dealing with, with the media. And part of that was, you know, me having to explain to them, the media is not your friend. You know, they're going to, they'll be your, they'll pretend they're your friend and they'll talk to you, you know, oh, this is off the record and tell me about this guy and let's talk about that person. And, and, um, and so I saw the dirty tricks that they were playing, you know, with these athletes. And we were really committed to making sure our guys didn't step in those holes that were, that the media was, uh, was pretty notorious for, for, for playing, you know, these poor kids that have no experience with this. They don't know. They think they're dealing with their friend who's just asking them some questions. Mm -hmm. And then that clip gets put on ESPN and shown 8 million times. And next thing you know, they're a villain. So when you say dirty tricks, you mean like just the way they would ask certain questions or they try to set them up to say something that would could later be used in a flashy. Headline? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, they, you know, they're going to get a sound bite out of it. And I, we just remind them like mm -hmm. the beat writer for your team is sitting at his desk, you know, it, you know, eight, four or five months into the season going, I don't know what I'm going to write today. And if you, you're going to give him something to write about. If you say something dumb or you, 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 uh, you know, he'll, you allow yourself 
yourself to start trashing one of your teammates. You know, next thing you know, it's a big controversy and they don't really care about that so much as now they've got stuff to write about. So I just wanted to make sure that they understood that the relationship was not always um, buddy, buddy. And if you recognize that, then you would probably be a little bit more measured with your words. And so from that, I, um, you know, I, I, I detoured into a, a 10 year plus uh, career in real estate. And during that real estate uh, career, what I saw was I got a real taste of how um, money and banking and central banking and how, how all of that kind of comes together and creates these bubbles that then get popped and leave a lot of people in a bad spot. I myself I was selling homes in Las Vegas for, you know, from 2003 to 2012. And I, you know, we watched everything go up and then the bubble burst and then everything came down and a lot of people got hurt. I got hurt myself. And so I felt like a sucker at a carnival game, you know, who's like, you know, put, putting another dollar down and trying to throw the thing around, you know, the ring around the, the, the thing. And like, I just can't get it to, you know, I can't figure out this game. What's this game? You're like, I just wanted to understand how the scam worked. So I started to learn about money, money creation, uh, fiat currencies, central banking and all of this. And what I, you know, sort of took me down this weird path where you start to realize, oh, this is a, this is not just accidental. These bubbles that get inflated and popped, this is by design. And then simultaneously, as I'm, as I'm starting to come to this realization, I read John Perkins' book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, where he's talking about how they use the IMF and World Bank to loan, you know, get these poor third world countries into borrowing more than they can really afford to, to build like a hydroelectric power plant and Oh yeah, it's going to pencil out. It'll pay itself off in a couple of years. Your all the kids will, you know, they'll have electricity. Your the kids in the area will learn to read because they'll have lights on at night, and it's all going to be great. Yeah, we'll put a billion dollars in your mm-hmm. bank account and Cayman Islands, and don't tell anyone. But you know, and 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 then it, and yeah, you got to pay us back. But don't worry, that's yeah, going to yeah, be, yeah, yeah. that's going to be. And fine. then and then you get this 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 hydroelectric power plant built, and it starts generating revenue, but it's never quite enough. And then you fall behind in your payments. And then the IMF comes to you like a loan shark, you know, with a baseball bat saying like, you owe us a lot of money, but I think we can work something out. Like maybe we can privatize your lumber industry and let our buddies buy it. Or, or you vote our way in a UN resolution, or you allow us. Maybe we put a couple of military bases, a military here, base you know, here, something, something like some deal that the country doesn't want. Right. And so you, 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 you I was like, Oh my God, this is happening on a, this is the massive scale. And I was like, I'm part of this on a, on a, like a local scale in Las Vegas. You know, we're, we're loaning, we're giving money to people that have no business being able to afford this house, but you know, the bank said I'm good for it and I got approved for the loan. So I must be good for it. And, and then, you know, a couple of years they fall behind on their payments and, 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 and boom. And then the bank takes back tangible assets like these houses. And I just went, I'm part of this and I had no idea. So part of my reason of even getting into this whole industry was to try and educate myself so that I wouldn't be a sucker again, because I got clobbered in it and I was selling the houses and I was drinking the Kool-Aid and I was in the industry, but I couldn't see it. And so a lot of people think, well, if you're in that industry, you're clearly in on it. It's like, no, no, really. I, I promise you, most of us had no idea what was actually happening. I thought there was some funny business going on with the loans for sure. But again, 
you know, they, they were loaning, they were giving money to people that probably shouldn't be buying the houses. And of course there's blame to go along. You, maybe you shouldn't be buying this house if you really can't afford it, but also the banks were incentivizing. It's like, no, 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 it's cool. Let's take this loan. Take the, and there was a lot of fine print that you were the, and we're raised to think this is what you do. You go to school, you take out a loan for that. You pay it off when you get this fine job. And then once you get that job, you know, you put all your money in your 401k and then yeah, you take out a loan for a house. This is just, this is just what the American dream is. So there's not that much to question. No, you've made it. You've bought a house. You're living the American dream. I specifically remember this one guy came in and he was a, he was a landscaper, you know I mean? Like he mowed grass and trimmed hedges and he made about $10 an hour and he got approved for a $405,000 house. And, you know, and I can't really blame this guy because he's, here he is, he's, he was, uh, you know, new to America. This was a dream. He was uh, the American dream. I'm going to buy this house. I'm going to, I'm going to start myself down this path towards prosperity and I'm going to, you know, and it just didn't work that way for, for a lot of these people. And I felt, you know, I had a tremendous amount of guilt for, for even being a part of that. And so what I decided was, look, I think the best thing for me to do is to understand how it works to the best of my abilities. And then, and it just so that it doesn't happen to me again and then it got to the point where I had a conversation with my mom one day. I was telling her some, I don't know, some new conspiracy I had discovered or something come across. And she's like, oh, this is this is really interesting. Like, you've got all this, you know, about all these different things. And, and it's very fascinating. But like, what is the plan? What are you going to do with it? And I was like, mm-hmm. I... I don't, I don't know. I I never knew I had to do anything with it. I was just kind of interested in it, just learning for myself. And that actually started me down the path towards writing the octopus of global control because I, I, I felt like, thanks mom. Yeah, no kidding. I, and and I didn't tell anyone I was writing it because I didn't, you know, know, Hey man, I'm going to write a book. And then you got all your buddies going, Hey, how's that book coming? You're like, Oh, I never finished it. You know? So I just kept it quiet. And because I didn't, know if I would finish it. Then I got to a point where it was so, you know, it was such a major thing I was working on that then I didn't want to tell anyone because I was afraid someone would tell me to stop, you know, oh, this is not a good use of your time or what do you know about this? Or, you know, all those doubts that creep in people say, well, you can't do this. You shouldn't do this. So I wrote it in total secrecy and put it out in August of 2017. And it has been you know, it started me down this path of of going on on shows to promote the book because obviously nobody's going to know about it unless you promote it. So I started doing that. That led me to um, going on Tony Merkel's show, The Confessionals. And afterwards, we got done. He said, "Man, he goes, you know, I, I won't, I've been watching your interviews, and you did, you know, you got this enthusiasm. You do do a really good job with this. Have you considered doing a podcast?" And I was like, well, I, you know, I've been thinking about it, but I don't know the, you know, technical side of it all. I kind of, he goes, well, I'll do all that. You do the show. Like I, you know, you do your show and I'll do the technical side. And that's how macro aggressions came about in March of 2020. So, um, all, you know, looking back on all this, there's no grand plan. You know, I just was kind of going from one thing to the other and, and seeing these, uh, you know, the evolution of it all. And, I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to ha- to be able to like talk about these really interesting yet non-mainstream topics and in a way that uh, I don't know. I feel like if I I can explain it in a way that makes sense to me, then there's a lot of other people out there that it 
they like that because it makes sense to them too. So I try not to be too technical and I try not to be, you know, I try to infuse humor into it as much as I can because it's crazy out there, you know? And so we have to like recognize the insanity of the world that we're living in. And so I think that's why I I enjoy your show so much because, you know, you get so immersed in this stuff and and, and, like the stuff we're going to talk about today is, is is pretty heavy stuff and you can feel like the, like this is just too much to deal with. So the fact that you are able to do this in sort of a, a, by adding a little bit of levity in there and having fun with it, I mean, I, I almost have to because how else could you get through this kind of stuff uh, otherwise? Yeah, and and I it, and it's a it's a it's a fine line too be, between like being respectful of the fact that you know some mm. of these these concepts, some of these things we're talking about have real world implications and have hurt a lot of people, and so it's like you know you 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 can goof on things, but you know I always also try to remember that like this affects people. You know, we're talking about bombings or false flags or wars or things like that. You can, you can make the, the, you know, the little snide comment here and there, but in the end you're, you are talking about things that impact people's lives. So if I can, if I can do it in a way that sort of makes it make sense as much as I can, then, then I feel like I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing an okay job. And yeah, it's been a nice outlet for me to, uh, to talk about things I want to talk about, which is getting increasingly more difficult to do. And thank God we have certain platforms that are uh, receptive to that. We're seeing others that are, you know, that would prefer that we go away and stop talking about this That's crazy sure. conspiracy theorists. Right. One of them might even uh, flag this episode. Who knows? I'm going to I'm going to push the boundaries, but uh, you know who won't? That's our friends at Rockfin. That's what attracted me yep. so much to the platform uh, from the beginning, because I know they're never going to censor our speech. So no matter what happens to this episode, you'll always be able to find it over on Rockfin. Do not fear. Um, and what we're going to talk about today, Charlie, um, is a subject that, you know, I think. I'm saying libertarian because that's the area I come from, but I'm sure it applies to any political ideology that so much of the discussion um, seems to center around just the surface level of of politics, sort of what you see on TV. Um, And then all these arguments seem to just, you know, accept a certain base reality. But what I've noticed over the years is that the arguments and that base reality is not as, as solid as people seem to be. So they're all standing on this, this, this sort of same platform as if that that's where our base is. But really, I, I think that platform is a very shaky one. And uh, I, so what I want to do is dig into some of more of what, what is behind the surface. Yeah. And and that's why, you know, you did a recent episode uh, digging into the concepts of, of fal- false flags, uh, specifically those perpetuated by the FBI. Yeah. Um, now, obviously this is a, this is stuff that, a lot of people will hear and immediately jump to, oh, that's wild conspiracy stuff. Right. And certainly within any of this stuff we're going to talk about today, there is wild conspiracy angles you can go on. Yeah. That's not really what we're going to do today, though. What we're going to do is kind of go through some of these events that you did talk about in your recent episode and not necessarily look at the wild part, although we can get into the wild parts. Sure, that's fun. Uh, but what you're going to really look at and what you did break down um, was really... the. The facts. I mean, the stuff that you we can actually verify. A lot of the stuff is is not as wild and crazy. It is wild and crazy, but it's it's more verifiable uh, than you may think. So yeah. we can kind of start it from from wherever you like. Um, I don't know if you want to go chronologically, but I think kind of a good place to start might not be chronological so much as as starting with um, what you had said is is the most easiest to debunk, the most obvious one, and that is the Boston bomb. Yeah. So why don't we start by digging into that? Yeah. So let's let's set some. Uh parameters and talk about this so so when when someone wants to talk about conspiracy theories there certainly are some conspiracy theories out there what we're doing is we're not theorizing about potential conspiracies we're analyzing actual ones 
right? So there's, mm-hmm. there, there's, there's, we're more conspiracy analysts and a conspiracy is just two or more people plotting in secret to commit a, a crime. So before this episode, you and I had a conspiracy that we were going to show up and do this episode. Exactly. And, so and sometimes, yeah. it, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes uh, people get hung up on that and they go, this is conspiracy theory. Look, if we want to, if we want to talk about inner earth and things like that, that's cool. And I'm, I'm good to theorize and do all that, but where we where we can start with with this uh episode is just analyzing the facts and the facts of boston bombing are you know so you talk about surface level surface level is the boston marathon happened 2013 there was a bomb at the finish line and it blew up a bunch of people and blew the legs off some guy and it was done by these two brothers the sarnev brothers and they left a backpack by the finish line and it blew everything up and then they went on the run and they stole a car and then they ran over somebody and then they stole another car and then they told the driver of the car that they had bombed the boston bombing and they wanted to go to new york and and then there were apcs rolling down the streets and then these one guy got killed and the other guy wound up uh on the cover of rolling stone Right. So that, that's that's pretty much like the official story. And it's it is like like I said, it, it is one of the easier ones to debunk because there's so much footage, because there's so many random people there. You're at a at a marathon. Right. So so the the story of these guys, you know, dropping a backpack and blowing things up is, uh, you know, the FBI came out in the day, the day of and said, if there's anyone, anybody that was at the event. And they have images from their phones um, of people leaving a, a, you know, a backpack, this black backpack at the crime scene. Please send us these photos. And then the very next day, they put out a message saying, we're good. Don't send any more pictures. We're fine. We got everything that we need. And what was happening was that so many people were sending in all these photos of these guys that were all wearing these black backpacks. And these guys were all dressed the same. You know, they had like khaki pants and they had they had like, you know, like the chamberlain boots you know like the work boots and these pants and they they all had these these hats on with the punisher logos and they all look the same and they all had black backpacks on and um and the problem is the pictures of the the sarnev brothers when they had backpacks on they had gray backpacks on so they didn't have the same color and and there were problems that people were going wait a second this isn't really adding up this is uh this looks like you know there's a picture of a backpack that's exploded and it's black but then we got the pictures of the bombers and they've got gray backpacks on what about that and they're like we can't talk about that and we're like well what about this what about this one gentleman who's wearing a backpack and is craft international which is a private mercenary company started by uh yeah these are not the mac and cheese people just to be no. clear we don't want to we don't want to smear anyone no, 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 uh, love, uh, craft mac and cheese they probably do some bad stuff too yeah. though, this that's, is that's uh, the, uh the 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 um you know started by the american sniper guy you know his his uh his uh chris kyle his his uh oh, wow. um, i didn't know that pri- private mercenary company and those guys you know there's a picture of one guy who's got a black backpack on and then there's a picture of the same guy minutes later running from the crime scene with no backpack on and then the picture of the backpack that's exploded is exactly the same as the backpack that that guy had on you know what i mean so it's like like right off the bat like internet morons that are just on you know 
could easily debunk this one. It wasn't it wasn't very well done. Then you start looking at the footage and then you start examining the people that were involved. And then you start watching video of the after the explosion and you go, well, wait a second. This wasn't even an explosion. This ex- explosion went straight up. It was like a stage explosion, like like something you have it at like a Metallica concert or something, you know, it makes a lot of noise, mm-hmm. makes a lot of smoke. And, and but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't project out. And then you're watching videos of these people that are, you know, allegedly injured and they've got bags filled with fake blood that they're squirting all over the floor. And then they've got a guy with no legs and he's got blood squirting everywhere, but they're, they're putting him in a wheelchair and wheeling him around. And you're just looking at this and you're going, I'm no private investigator, but this looks like a, like some sort of theatrics to me. And you dig into it a little bit more and then you, and you realize well, wait a second. The Washington, no, was it Washington Post? I think it was the Washington Post. It was either Washington, no, it was the uh, Boston, one of the Boston papers uh, had a tweet, two tweets, two minutes apart from one another. And the tweet said, there's going to be a live fire exercise at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. Please be aware. And then the second one was, there's going to be a drill running at the Boston Marathon. Please be aware. And then when you, the videos of it, not the ones that the media played, but you watch the videos that, of people that were filming their friends, you know, crossing the finish line or, or, you know, in this race, you can hear over the loudspeakers that's being pumped out to the audience there. This is a drill. This is a drill. This is a drill. And there's all this is going, this is a drill. This is a drill. And you're like, what's going on here? And then you look around and you see the Kraft International guys all along the the roof lines and running, you know, in the crowds and everything. And it, the whole thing just starts to fall apart. The brothers had nothing to do with this. They wound up being patsies. And of course, you know, if you know anything about patsies set up to take the fall, it's, it, you've got to have that, right? You can't have the real guys getting blamed. So, um, so it, you, it, it was part of something called Operation Urban Shield and it was uh, a staged event. And nobody died and nobody got blown up. And the guy who had his legs blown off was. And you're saying this right now, just to be clear, like, you know, you're saying this in the context of someone just has to pay close to a million, a billion dollars for saying some people didn't die at a certain thing. But you say this without it, without any fear of someone coming after you for saying that, because that's how much you know, because because it's provable, (laughs) you know, you could play the video. You've got a guy, a, a video of a guy, a parent who's saying he's on video going, you know, I was at the, 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 at the beginning, you know, the, the race, you know, where they had all the race participants in and over there on the loudspeaker, they're talking about, Hey, there's going to be a drill coming on, uh, at the, later today. There's, there's a drill scheduled for later today. Just be aware of it. And he goes, and then we show up at the, at the finish line and there's this explosion and everything. He's like, and I wasn't worried because I knew it was a drill because they just told us earlier, there's going to be a drill. Mm-hmm. So and that, that is a, th- a theme that you will see across yes. pretty much any major false flag is there's almost always a drill associated yeah. with it, a planned drill that just happens to coincide with the real event. Yeah, and that's, there's a couple of reasons for that. One reason is that it allows them to pre-position assets in place, you know, under the cover mm-hmm. of, oh, well, we're just setting up for a drill here. And if, it, you know, and if they decide to pull the plug on it, you know, then the, then the event doesn't happen. Like maybe it's a real explosion disguised as a fake explosion and uh you know if if they you know if they they say it's a drill it allows them to have time to 
block off areas, get their people in in there, get everyone else out, uh, control the scene and and things like that. So so drills are an integral part of this too. So a lot of times people, <clears throat> when looking back, it's hard to do it predictively because there's drills running all every day for all kinds of things. Sure, yeah. But we can't but, go chasing every drill right, waiting for the next big one. When you look back on it, you'll always find a drill. You'll find a drill and and the drills will be like be like, wow, that's a crazy drill. Like as an example, this doesn't have anything to do with the FBI, but as an example, the the seven seven London bombing, right? The the tube station mm-hmm. bombing. They've got a guy named Peter Power on in their interviewing him, BBC five and <laughs> BBC that, that two. <laughs> yeah. And and he's a ex former you know, former intelligence guy who's gone off and started his own firm, which does crisis uh, training for places and he's giving an interview to the bbc and he's, he's telling the bbc you know what's interesting about this tube station bombing that was real and actually did blow up a bunch of people he goes what's interesting is that we were running a simulation simulating a bombing happening at the exact same tube station at the exact same time when the actual bombing happened and the interviewer's like wait, wait, wait a second wait a second you mean to tell me that you were simulating an event <clears throat> that was almost identical to this. And he says, precisely, precisely. Now, he wasn't taken out of context. He gave a second interview later that day saying the same thing. So, you know, you have to like suspend reality if you want to believe something like that, that the that the chances that they're, they're simulating explosions at two different tube stations at the same minute, at the same day, you know, and then they wind up happening exactly how they'd simulate. It's just impossible coincidence. So, so you'll find these sort of patterns. And um, once you come a- across one like the Boston bombing, you'll find all these inconsistencies with the stories. But you'll you'll then, when you look at others, you can take some of the information that you've, you've learned from, from one bombing or from one uh, fake event. And you can see if you see those similarities uh, moving forward in others, like, uh, you know, certain school shootings and things like that, that we're not allowed to talk about. So, yeah. And one thing I want to clarify, too, like, I mean, you're very specific in this in this event itself that that nobody died in this. And, you know, who's who's going to sue you for that? I guess I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see if anybody does. But that that's not necessarily a trait of a false flag, per se, like for definitional reasons. A false flag kind of just means a planned event that's not what it is on the surface that could mean totally made up and you know smoke and mirrors like in the yep. case of the Boston bombing it could mean a real thing that happened where a bunch of people died sure, so absolutely yeah i want yeah it's it's good to clarify that because sometimes people hear false flag and they think that that means that mm-hmm. you think that the entire event didn't happen at all like no it just means it's made to look like somebody else did it and that could be an event that is uh, a drill that like like nobody, nobody gets hurt. It could be something like in the 93 world trade center bombing, which the FBI was involved in as well, where they set up this poor guy and well, I don't know if he's a poor guy, but they set this guy up and they said, well, we're going to, we're going to, he is now, he is now. (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, We're going to, we're going to, we're going to put a bomb in um, a fake bomb in this truck and we're going to park it, you know, in, in the basement level of the world trade center and we're going to blow it up. And, and then, it turns out that they swapped out and put a real bomb in there. And he recorded all his, the conversations. And mm-hmm. after the fact, he was like on the phone with his FBI handler saying, you told me there was that the bomb wasn't going to be real. They're like, well, we lied. You know, so so like sometimes it's real. Sometimes it actually happens and sometimes it doesn't. But the idea that it's false flag just means that it is 
pointing the blame elsewhere as if like when the pi- the old time pirate ships would run up uh, up their flagpole the flag of say the ship right over there so that it looks like they're friends so they can get close enough and then they put their real i don't know skull and crossbones flag up and then start bombing you right. know sort of opening up with the cannons so so that's part of and the reason why people are like why why do we even have false flags well a lot of times it it coincides with legislation that's about to happen and maybe there's not a big enough appetite for this piece of legislation that's going to be on i don't know militias or something and then what do you know you get an event that blows up some building and it's done by the militias and then next thing you know well we're going to introduce this uh you know this legislation and then it passes easily you know and so and people go oh like governments they wouldn't do that that's so evil yeah, they do it all the time. Like not only would they do it, it happens all the time. So, so this is, um, I think people that are new to, to it and probably not people that watch your show, but, but people that are new to the concept, like the first thing that goes through their head is that just sounds too crazy. That sounds too, too diabolical. I I used to be like that too, because, because even like, I remember the Boston bombing specifically, I was looking at the same stuff you're talking about. Like, this looks like so what? But then there's that part of you that's like, but come on, you know, right. but you can never explain that part. You just, you, you, you know, there's a point where it's hard to accept that this is real yeah. because it's, it's so crazy. And and then when you accept that it's real, you have to tell yourself, oh, I live in a different reality than I thought. Yeah. And that's, a, that's a hard thing to overcome. It's very hard. And it, and it, and it's, but it's very effective too, to keep people sort of from going there because it's like, mm. let's be honest. Like if you, if you now are starting to come to an understanding that um, <clears throat> the government that you live under is capable of doing something like this, then that changes the entire relationship in your mind that you have with the government. You start thinking, well, if they're willing to do this, what else are they willing to do? And that's a lot for people to really unpack and accept. And it's it's a lot easier to just go, no, no, that's, that's Alex Jones territory. I don't participate in that. That's got to be mm-hmm. fake. It sounds too crazy. I fully recognize it sounds crazy. Of course it sounds crazy. <clears throat> but just because it's crazy doesn't mean it isn't true. And there's a lot of evidence that that points out, you know, many of these false flags have been um you know, they're they're conducted by our own government. That's that's how they do it. Now, it's not to say that legitimate terrorism doesn't exist someplace somewhere. It's just that um uh, <clears throat> You know the way the, the the way we get it served to us in America is very disingenuous and very fake, and a lot of times the media is running cover for the actual people that are perpetrating. A lot of times the media, you know, maybe doesn't even know. But but in the case of um, you know some of these major events, yeah, the media knows. You know, this is what we say. This is a story. They get a script. We read the script. You know, and and we go from and there. And we have recent verifiable examples of this as well. Uh, over at my old home on Lions Liberty, my, my friend John Odermatt just interviewed this guy, Brandon Caserta, who was acquitted as one of the conspirators who was playing to kidnap Governor Whitmer oh. uh, in Michigan. 
And uh, he interviewed him and then he told the whole story how, you know, there's these guys that show up and start getting involved in your group. And, you know, they're talking a certain way. And then they find someone in the group who's, you know, a little more depressed, a little more unsure of himself. They start building up that person's confidence. I mean, and this this he's acquitted. This happened. I mean, you can't unless you think the jury and the judge are so crazy that they, they're starting to buy these wild conspiracy theories. Right. Uh, I mean, so this stuff is is out there all over the place. You just have to to look for it and and kind of see it for what it is. Um, just, just just like stick on the Boston bombing for one. Sure. second so like because just because i know there are probably some people that are still going to think like you know like i used to think like nah, come on but i know what i'm seeing here but come on but so what what happens if say someone wants to here is listening to this and they want to verify what you're saying like all right all right he made some points but i'm gonna look this up and yeah. find out that it's real what's gonna happen if someone looks up the names of like the boston bombing victims for example um well they'll find that they're fake names or that they're they're crisis like the the guy the guy who got his legs blown off in the event was a guy who lost his legs in afghanistan you know i mean he was he was he was working for a company there's companies out there that are you know crisis solutions and crisis actors actually if people are really interested in false flags i would send them to the the best guy i know in the business for that would be ole damagard who runs a a a website called light on he's on my short list of people to reach out to light so on hopefully conspiracies. They can tune in here yeah, yeah he's a good dude he's um he's 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 got it down to like a science you know he's he's talking he's pointing out like he's he's an ap level classes on on, on false right. flags where he's <clears throat> he's got you looking for for certain items in the pictures, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's emotional like anchor, have like red shoes or something shoes like that. Shoes are that one are of like... them. Bicycles are another one. And, um, mm. and then he was doing such a good job with this that he wound up getting contacted by a guy who's part of the team that sets off these false flags. And the guy said, you know, you're, 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 you're doing great. Like you've messed up a couple of them in the past, but, um, you know, he said, have you ever considered that we embed, um, clues as to where we're going next with this? And he was like, Oh, geez, I never really thought about that. So once that guy tipped him off to that, he started looking in a little bit further and he was finding, uh, he was finding things like a, a weird shooting in, uh, central California, someplace like that. And the picture that they used was of this lady who was standing there crying and she had sweatpants on and on the lo- the leg, the whole side of her leg going down, it just said Las Vegas. Right. And so he's like, I think something is coming in Las Vegas next. And like two weeks later, wow. it was the Las Vegas shooting. So he's had a lot of these things wow. where they've left clues and he's starting to get better at reading this language. He'll look at, see where, you know, like as an example, you'll see a picture. It'll just be like a pile of shoes. Or it'll be two shoes that are, you know, at the crime scene, there's bullet casings everywhere and two shoes that are right next to each other. And they're pointing in a particular direction. Now he's like, now let me ask you this. If you're in there, there's a shooting. Have you ever run so fast that you've just run out of both of your shoes and put them in the same right. spot? Or have you, you can ha- see maybe one falls off at some point maybe. If, if it's untied or something, but right. both like, you're not going to just take them off and nicely place them down and then start running. Yeah. Away. Yeah. And there's even one, one picture he showed me that was just like a, a quite literally a pile of shoes. And he was like, what happened? <laughs> this is, was this shooting at a, a shoe factory or something? It was like, no, it's like, this is like out on the street. So there's these weird little nods that they, they give to each other. So it's, it's part of, um, it's part of a coordinated effort. 
And, and you have to sort of go back. You talk about surface level and then digging a little bit deeper. You go back to um, the concept of, you know, Operation Gladio, which was a, a program that NATO launched in uh, Western Europe in the oh, late 50s, 60s, 70s, early 80s. And um, what they called the strategy of tension, which was setting off bombs in random places to keep everyone kind of destabilized and sort of clinging to government and sort of looking to government to help them sort of, oh no, how are we going to navigate this? And so he, you know, he's talking about the strategy of tension being used in America for these shootings and where they take place. And then when you, when you examine them and you take a look at them and you go, well, even some of the locations that they chose in, in Belgium in the seventies, you know, there was a grocery store shooting where all these people were killed. And he's like, well, you know, you'll, you'll, I'm having, you know, sitting at a bar with Ole in Mexico, you know, a couple of years ago. And he's telling me all this, he goes, you got to look for it in grocery stores. And like, here we go. We've, we've got grocery store shootings. You know, we say this is a train Talking station. false flags at a, at a Mexican bar with Ole Damagard sounds like a, a, a dream, a dream was, evening for it, me. That, that's why, <laughs> that's why I, I tell people to go to Narcapulco because uh, you, you wind up, uh, that's the only place I know where you can wind up in a conversation till 2.30 in the morning with a guy talking about uh, false flag terrorism and You'll blow your mind. So, and the people around you don't think it's weird. They're no, like, <laughs> they're 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 like, I like what you've done here. Let me pull up a chair. Let me join the conversation. Yeah, it's a it's a strange thing. But this is this is it's hidden by the fact that it's so crazy. You know, it's it, you, the, right. the the average right. person, the the normal person that doesn't sort of dwell on this stuff. It's just it just seems too absurd. You know, and that's kind of a protective layer too. It works very well. But if people get out of here with this, this is crazy. If this was happening, surely I would hear about it on my nightly news. And it's like, no, no, no. Like they, you have to understand, like the mainstream media is there to serve a purpose. And I'm not trying to say that every news anchor knows exactly what's going on, but I'm sure most of them are just doing their job and as they see it, they're taking what's given to them and putting it back out. Or like reading scripts saying that building seven has fallen 20 minutes before building seven has actually fallen. Right. So they're reading a script that's given to them. And, but, but these, you know, this idea, once people can sort of push through that first layer of like, this sounds crazy. You go, yes, but put that off to the side. Let's examine this. Sounds crazy, but look at how effective it is. If you want to get mm. people to feel a certain way, if you want to get people really passionate, let's say gun control, because that's a real popular one. Like if you want to get people really calling for gun control, what would you do? Well, you would have somebody use a gun in a really horrible fashion. Okay, well, they could shoot up some people. That's horrible. But we see that on the nightly news. Oh, but they could shoot up a bunch of kids. Ooh, that mm. really gets you, you know? And so, so either fake or real, you can have situations where that occurs and then the media in the in the you know in the the, the hours and days and weeks after that just starts hammering well what are we going to do we're going to have another one of these events happen if we don't do x y and z and i've proposed legislation that will do this exactly what we need to do to curb gun and you can feel however you want about guns but as an example they use that a lot to just incrementally remove a couple rights here, a couple rights there. Because if you know the, the the main plan, the overall goal, like what's the goal? The goal is to disarm the population of America. In America, the false flag goal is to disarm the population. And the only way, and we're kind of a gun country, so that's going to be tough to do. The only way you can do that 
is you have to make guns yeah. so Australia, unpopular. it just took one, and they're like, all right, we're up. But yep, you want to take good. them here? I'll give you all the guns. Yeah, yeah, it just took one. But but again, that was a false flag shooting. That was that was an event that was um, was not not uh, as it appeared to be, and yet they used the emotion of that. And, and, and they've always got the legislation sort of pre-written, you know, sort of sitting in the desk drawer, like, let me dust this off and then boom, drop this. Like as an example, in Buffalo, the supermarket shooter who came in and, you know, shot everybody up, Kathy Hochul had legislation, uh, already submitted three days later. Really? You just had that sitting around you or you just cranked out this immaculate piece of legislation in like 48 hours and then submitted it like this is pre-planned and pre-done so that when you have an event like this, they can just say, well, now's the time that we can ram through some very unpopular legislation under the guise of protecting you from another one of these events. You know, hey. Help me, help me. Make sure that one of these events doesn't happen again. Well, in order to help you, we're going to need to take away this, this, and this from you. It might be guns. It might be, might be some privacy rights. It might be, it might just be, you know, it usually has to do with taking away some of your rights in exchange for security. But then what you what you learn about this stuff is that the people that are doing the people are doing the events as a, as a justification to get you to vote for this legislation that would be deeply unpopular without an event like that. So it's so dirty and it, and and it requires you to go, I mean, kind of be like, you kind of get cynical when you, when you, when you get into this, you just go, is everything corrupt? You know, is everything awful? I, I, you know, I hate to feel that way and not everything is corrupt and not everything is awful, but it does happen though. I mean, I found myself similarly, like at a, now I'm almost at a point where if I see it on the TV, I just assume it's a lie. And then I have to pull myself back a little bit like, all right, sometimes there are things that happen and they yes. just get on the news. Like, but it, 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 it is. And it does filter the way I look at not just the current events, but like all the events that have happened that I've seen in my entire life. I yeah. look back and say, so if all these other things are definitely bullshit, there's probably a lot of other bullshit in there. And maybe I don't know all of what it is. And a lot of it's probably true too, but it really gets you thinking about everything you've seen along the way. Yeah. And, and, and you start to recognize patterns. You start to see people saying things immediately in the aftermath of, of these events. You start to see people that aren't acting normal and you go, well, you know, everybody grieves differently. So maybe I shouldn't make a big deal out of the fact that this guy's laughing after his kid just got killed five minutes ago. But then, but you see enough of this and you go, no, I think that was the one for me that I was just like, no. Yeah. I, I do not, I'm not going to believe this person. Like, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to say, I don't know about the whole event, whatever. I can't believe that person right. just lost a child. Right. And so you start to say, well, if that's a lie, what else is a lie? Right. And I think that's a reasonable, I think that's a reasonable mentality to have. And if you see something, if, if I explained it like this to, to somebody one time, like if my, if my wife is out of town, and I tell, and she's, and, and she says, she calls me and she goes, what'd you, what'd you do, uh, last night while I was gone? I said, well, um, I, I, I went out with my friend Max and we went to Bob's pizza place. And then after that, we went and saw the new Top Gun movie. And then we went, uh, and then I came home, you know, if, if she knows that Bob's pizza place closed down two weeks ago because there was a fire and I just randomly threw that out there. 
then isn't it reasonable for her to suspect that me saying that I went to the movie was also, it was not a lie, you know, it was a lie too. Right, and like, right. if, if you know that one, and that's all we did is probably a lie too. Right. Yeah. And that's all we did. And then I probably, I just went home and nothing else happened. But like, if you know, if you know for sure that one part of the story is a lie, mm-hmm. isn't it reasonable to take a look at everything else about it? So when you start to catch these people making unusual statements or acting in a way that's inconsistent with uh, grieving families and uh, or they're immediately calling for gun control, like five Mm. minutes after this, this thing has happened, you start to see these things and they, they make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. That might be, you might be on the right track. Now, again, to be clear, it, it, you, you could be real, you know, there, there, there are events happen. Things do happen. But, but also when you get, when you get to like Ole Damagard's level of understanding of this, you can start calling them out in advance of it. So I did that with my mom when we were sitting around, she came over to my house a couple years ago and was just, just in the afternoon, she was just hanging out and, and, um, I turned, we just turned on the TV and it was like breaking news. There's been a sand a shooting in San Bernardino. And I hadn't heard I remember anything. that one. I hadn't heard anything about it. She hadn't heard anything about it. I immediately just turned to mute. And I said to her, if I can tell you five things about this shooting uh, that will happen within the next 48 hours without me knowing anything about this, I can tell you five very specific things about this shooting. Will you believe me when I say that these are false flag events? She's like, what do you got? And I said, your mom sounds awesome, by the way, but she, 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 she is open to this. <laughs> My mom cannot handle these conversations. She, God bless her. But. She is open. She's definitely open to it. And, and I said, um, shooters will be Muslim. Uh, shooters will be using, uh, assault weapons. Uh, the shooters will leave a manifesto somewhere. The shooters will die. They will be shot and, uh, they will totally and utterly, uh, contaminate the crime scene. And, and the and 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 uh, the FBI will announce that it it was um, it was uh, you know Muslim extremists you know doing this thing. She's like, that's pretty specific, right? So then the following day we we see. Uh, oh, and I also said another thing was there will be reports of military uh, guys, military looking men that actually did the shooting. There will be early reports of that, but it'll get buried. Every single thing I said about that, the, 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 the family was Muslim. They, they said that the woman had, uh, you know, they were shooting AK 47s. She was like 90 pounds and pregnant. So, you know, she just, or just had a baby or something. It was like impossible. Um, they left a manifesto that was like written by the FBI. Um, they, you know, there were reports of three military looking guys that were doing the shooting that was reported by somebody that was at the event who was calling from bathroom to their father saying there's these guys, these three guys are in here shooting and they're like, you know, I don't know what to do. So they, they hid. And, and then of course they allowed the media into the apartment of the people just, they were, I don't know if you remember, saw this, but they're like, we're, we're here live in the apartment of the, the two shooters. And there's like a camera crew and they're filming and in the apartment, there's like, 17 other media members all walking around this apartment looking at it like that's a crime scene you're talking about going to the shooter's apartment and you're just gonna let the media around and they're like one one guy's like we found a manifesto and like 
are you kidding me? This is amateur hour, right? And then the FBI described the apartment as a, quote, veritable bomb manufacturing facility. It's like, well, then why'd you let the media in there? Like, I don't know. Yeah, so pick one. So, so sometimes you can just, you can just call it. You can just say, well, this is, this is the agenda. If you know the agenda, you work backwards and you say, well, this is what they're trying to demonize. You're trying to demonize guns or trying to demonize Muslims or trying to demonize, you know, this and that. So, so if you, if you sort of know what the hot button to the jour is, you can kind of work backwards. Like in the nineties, it was malicious. So you get Ruby Ridge and Waco and Oklahoma city and all these things. Right? Did you call but, Ruby Ridge a false flag? Uh, well, I would call Ruby Ridge a or more like a planned event. No, I would say, I would say that, well, they were setting up the guy for sure. I mean, they were trying to bust yeah. him on like selling a sawed off shotgun to a federal agent. Maybe they meant him to be a false flag. And then this, this event occurred and, instead. And then they, and then the guys got into a shootout with those marshals and then the FBI immediately came in and then the FBI started murdering people. <laughs> so it wasn't a false flag. It was, it was a, it was like an entrapment event. It was like a, a setup for maybe, maybe, maybe they're setting him up as a patsy or something like that. Right. They're trying, they're trying to get this guy, but, but again, militia, you know, right. out in the woods, you know, doing those, you know, what those white nationalists do. And so, so nowadays, if I were to look at, you know, cause Muslim terrorists is so, so last decade, you know, oh yeah, um, we've moved on it, now. Now it's, it's It'll be uh, Russian terrorists. Domestic, next, I imagine. It's domestic terrorists. It's white nationalists. And it's, and it's definitely, you know, uh, assault weapons, um, Trump supporters, all that stuff. Right. So, so you'll start to notice that when, when the next event happens, they'll just be, it'll just be like a confluence of all of these things that are supposed to be bad. So it'll be like, he left a MAGA hat at the scene and he had an AK 47 and he wrote in his manifesto that he wants all the Jews to die and, and, and the trans people too. And, oh, and he, and he hates 5g and you're just like, you, you want to cram anything else in there guys? You want to, I mean, so it's like totally, it just seems a little too on the nose, you know, it was like, Every single thing that they're trying to demonize this guy is was uh, was supporting, and so we we make him out to be a bad guy. And again, again, I feel like I have to do the disclaimer all the time, but there are people out there that are mentally ill. There are people out there that that believe in some of these things and want to do harm. But but the point of the false flag component is you can just sit around and wait for one of these events to happen organically. You probably will eventually get one, but they don't do that. They don't have and it the won't time. check all the right boxes necessarily that they're going you, for. Yeah. Why wait for one when you can make one happen? You can tailor make it to the way you need it. You want a white guy with a MAGA hat with an AK 47 or AR 15, preferably um, who, you know, with bump stocks and all that stuff. And who who's, who's railing against a particular thing. And you just make that person either ha happen. You radicalize them some low IQ, guy on SSRIs whose head's a little bit scrambled and you get him in a chat room and start saying, well, you, we need to take things into our own hands, man, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, if we want to take this country back and the guy's like, yeah, right. You know, and so you, they manipulate these guys. You always find that like the, the so-called shooters or uh, the, well, they almost all have psychiatric problems and histories of tying them back to government run hospitals.
Mm. A lot of them are sort of like intentionally brain scrambled in, in order to do this, or or you just take. And you some... can even see um, you can see the the looks. Um, the one I always think of is the guy they called like the Joker, the one with the the Batman shooting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean that guy, you you don't need to know anything. You can just look at his eyes and be like, someone messed that kid up. Like, sure, maybe it happened naturally. Um, but if you look at his history, oh, weird. He was in these in these like associated with these weird government like psychiatrists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you you see that over and over again. You go, okay, well once maybe um twice i'm starting to get suspicious then you start to see this pattern you know one of these guys all kind of fit this same mold and um look the reason why false flags exist is because they're very effective i mean they they don't cost much to do it's it's a lot cheaper than 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 doing you know than doing other things you can you can take one person make them insane and and put them in a situation to make this sort of thing happen or you can as ole has, talks about having this nato traveling rocks rock show circus that he describes of of this group that flies in to nato bases with their buses and 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 all of the equipment that they need and they block off the area and they make that event happen and then when they're done they're off to the next they're on tour you know they're on to, off to the next city and um and so there's a there's a lot of that. It just it's the once you kind of get your mind comfortable with understanding this or sort of at least accepting that this there's a possibility, you'll start to see it more clearly the next time around. You'll go, oh yeah, there I was looking for you know like you start if you know what to look for, you'll see it everywhere. If you if you talk to Ole Damagard and you start hearing about red sho- or shoes and and bikes and things like that, and then you start looking at the pictures on the front page of the LA Times after there's been a shooting, you go, why did they show a picture of like the yellow police tape and the the you know the bullet casings all over the road and then there's two shoes there. And you go, oh wow, hang on a second. I know what that means. Or I know that that means what something. What do you think is the, is the purpose of that then? If if we see these patterns, do you think that it, I mean, I don't think it's like, so Ole Damagard will find it and, and you know do podcasts no. about it. So it's got, there's gotta be another reason there. So is, do you think it's like an internal communications type thing? Because we can't actually send texts or emails because that someone might find those. So it's it's like, is, do you think that's a way to communicate within these these sort of groups that plan this stuff? Yeah, it's been described as kind of like a nod, like, we're uh, th- this was ours like we're involved like in red this team one. go yeah we, we know like, what this is we, you'll know you'll know if we've been here you know like when you start to see stories that come out and it's all all these 33s everywhere you know and you're like 30 why are they yeah, doing yeah, well, like with the the covid stuff i mean i saw some compilation where there's uh of the covid thing when there was like you know we got 33 deaths 33 confirmed cases 33 it's like there's like 50 of them you're like what are the odds that 33 happened like all at the same time. It's just wild. I know. You you just you get the feeling that it's a bunch of guys going, you know, like mm-hmm. winking at each other, going, you you know, that that's us. You know, we we did that. And um, I think there's also some sort of psychological anchoring when you start to show bicycles. That means that you know, typically you associate that with kids, and a bicycle that's fallen down sort of shows like there would be a kid riding that bicycle, but there's not because that kid is dead, and that's just and the mm-hmm. only thing that's left of that kid is a bicycle on the ground and you know what that means. And that means something bad. And it's, you know, so we have to also understand that these guys aren't amateurs. They, they know what they're doing and they, they spend a lot of time with the psychological profilings and Tavistock institutes, and they understand how our 
brains work and they understand what, what where we have these anchors and where we where we have like emotional connections to certain things and uh and they play on that so so when you go back and you start looking at things and you have these kind of like well look I'll keep these in mind when i'm looking looking for things like manifestos like muhammad atta's manifesto and oh that that's one of my uh i don't i don't know favorite is the way to put it but like to go to the big one, I guess the biggest one of all, nine eleven. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the magical passport is just is just <laughs> it's insane. I mean, when you when you actually and it was happened to be found. I believe it was an FBI agent that happened to find Mohammed Atta's completely intact passport that exploded in a giant uh, building that took a whole building down from the fire and another building it didn't even touch because the fire was so hot. Perfectly intact passport happened to be found by an FBI yeah. agent. Yeah, yeah. So they they do that. They make these, you know, like that. What well, they found Muhammad Atta's suitcase. His suitcase didn't get checked. Uh, United lost it, right? It didn't get checked on the on the, the his connecting flight, which in my opinion is the most believable part of the entire nine eleven story. <laughs> United Airlines lost the guy's that luggage, part but, I can buy. but yeah, yeah. Then they found it, and they 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 they're like. Oh, this looks. It says like Muhammad Atta on the bag. Like this looks like maybe Muhammad Atta terrorist on it. Terrorist, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Wiley Coyote, super genius, you know. So uh, it's the, an Acme suitcase. The, <laughs> Acme suitcase, right? So they they call the FBI. The FBI opens it up, and in there they find a um, they find uh, first of all a list of all of the hijackers, like a, a list of like the whole plan. Like he sketched out the entire plan there. And, uh, then he found a, 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 his last will and Testament that was written in a way that was apparently inconsistent with Muslim beliefs. But, but the, the part about it, that's, that's the most ridiculous besides them finding this random suitcase. And it just happened to have all this information is that, you know, when you write the suicide note, you don't put it in your bag that you're checking onto the plane that you plan to fly into the world trade centers, right? You would leave the suicide note. I don't know, in your rental car, uh, at at your apartment, on your desk, on the refrigerator, someplace that isn't going to, you know, blow up in the next couple of hours. But he put it in his suitcase, checked it onto the plane that he's going to fly into the air. And then it just magically didn't get in there. And then the whole plot was revealed and the FBI solved the case in, in the first day. And it's like, sorry, I'm sorry, guys. I'm not that you're going to have to do better than that next time. This, this is just a little bit. Well, Charlie, too I'm not sure how much fire me. you want to play with here. Uh, you've already played with quite a bit. Uh, I've probably got a few singes <laughs> here, but uh, let's just try this. You know, I, I just maybe a hypothetical. We don't need to talk about something that really happened, of course. Sure. Uh, hypothetically, though, let's say that some of these people were wanting to perhaps go to a school um, at, in maybe a small state that is pretty close to New York and have some kind of event like this. Um, like, how, how would that go down, hypothetically speaking, if you could just you know, maybe you know, humor me a little bit there? You would find a... You would theoretically find a school that had been closed down for a couple of years mm. that was no longer in service. Mm. You could have a, uh, again, this is all hypothetical. I'd like to drive that home. Of course. Of course you could have an integrated capstone event, which is a joint venture between department of Homeland security and FEMA, where you could run a drill that would simulate something and you could film it. You could have media there filming it. You could have participants. You could have it. You could shoot pictures for it a couple of months in advance so that it, there was no confusion. You could, uh, you know, you could, you could create a whole event that didn't actually wind up happening and make it appear that it happened. And that's the, you know, that goes back to the, 
the the one of the quotes I put in the the octopus book from Malcolm X. He says, you know, the the media is the most dangerous institution in the world. They can make the guilty look innocent and the innocent look guilty. So you can make events look like they happened that didn't happen, and you can hide events that did happen by by simply ignoring them. So the media is always driving the the getaway car on all of these events. It's important. It's an important component of it. And I think a lot of people think that the media is maybe incompetent or maybe they're just biased and things like that. They are both of those things for sure, but they are also agenda driven and they're there for a purpose. And when you consolidate the media down from 50 companies down into five, you don't have to have pictures of all 50 CEOs with goats. You just have to have pictures of the top five CEOs with goats if you want to make them do what you want to make them to do, if you know what I mean. So you can, you can if they're not already on board with the plan. And if they weren't already having fun with goats on their own, but no, that's neither here nor there. Right, right, right. So you, can, you, you have control of the media. And that is essential. And that is that is baked into this equation. The media has been controlled for a while. So once you have that, you can make reality look kind of however you want, because so many of us will never go to a theoretical uh, school, you know, where, where an event like that could happen. And so you really wouldn't know. You're sort of at the mercy of you know, Ted Koppel tonight, he's going to tell me what happened. And if he, if he says, this is what happened, like, how would I know any different? Right. So, so you, you can, you can do this, uh, you can do this a couple different ways, but you have to have the media component in order to really sell it. Because once you do that, and it's an interesting thing that happens too, as I, I described it as like the first story that you hear about an event is the main story it's the story and it's like a it's like uh, the olympics the downhill skiing right first person that goes down whatever their time is that's first place and then every other skier that goes down there they have to knock that guy's time time off mm -hmm. you know so, so mm -hmm. they have to do better than the one before but whatever for whatever reason the story that we're told immediately first story is the one that we seem to think is the real story and so every other version of it is saddled with the responsibility of knocking that official story off the top spot. So, so when you hear 20 minutes after 9-11, when you've got Paul Bremer in the NBC newsroom and you've got Ehud Barak in the BBC newsroom saying, well, we think that this is Osama bin Laden, then that's who it is. Right. And then, and then all of a sudden it's Osama bin Laden, Osama bin Laden. That's all you hear. And then anybody that challenges that say, well, maybe it isn't Osama bin Laden. Maybe it could be this other guy. It's like, how dare you? How crazy? They've already told us who it was. They already figured it, it out. It was on the TV. Hello. And it, you know, look, it was on. If it wasn't true, it wouldn't be on the TV. I mean, we've got terrorism experts telling us that this is who did it. So, so how dare you question that story? It's like, that story's brand new. How do we know? How we haven't even examined it yet. So better question might be: How did they know in twenty minutes? How right, did they do exactly. a twenty-minute investigation and get in the newsroom by in time for, to go live? Exactly. So you you have to you have to sort of like recognize that they are in a race to create the narrative, to set that narrative and start backing it up. I always tell people when they if they want to get the best 
information about a particular event will happen in the first 24 hours. That's when you'll get some unconfirmed report. You'll get some guys. Like a guy running in the woods in camo away from a school, hypothetically. Like again. that. That's one. You'll get uh, news reporters uh, in Oklahoma City saying that they've diffused uh, a second. And now a third bomb has been found in the building and has been diffused. And you're like, well, then you never hear that story again. You never hear that. That mm-hmm. that clip never makes it anywhere. It, it becomes, no, no, no. The FBI narrative management team gets in there and they say, no, this is what happened. All that other stuff that you might have heard of, that's that's junk conspiracy. That didn't really happen. We will we'll silence that. So the first 24 hours is the is the best time because you'll hear you'll hear some truth in there. You hear here's from some eyewitnesses that will say, well, you know, I was at this Las Vegas shooting. And yeah, I yeah, maybe there was a guy shooting up there in the in the you know from the the building, but I was hearing bill, buzzer, bullets were whizzing by my ear on the ground level, you know, and like, well, how could that be? Well, you never hear from that guy again. Or you know, the other people say, I was in the Bellagio and there was a shooting in the Bellagio that same, you know, that night. And they're like, what? Well, that conflicts with the narrative. So that story gets suppressed too. So that first, that first 24 hours is like the raw time where you can pull down a lot of information. And then you'll see, uh, as soon as, and like I mentioned in my episode, as soon as agent Rouse got on the scene, FBI agent Rouse in the Las Vegas shooting, all that stuff stopped, all that talking stopped, all everything that was contradictory to the official narrative just immediately got locked down. The sheriff, is that the guy that is he the one that's standing behind the sheriff during the press conference. Who's like literally just yeah. like, He's yeah, just, you're going to say the right thing now. I mean, it's, it's wild looking at him like da- like daggers. Yeah. You could you could just, he, sometimes uh, yeah. he nods it's, like, Oh yep, You said the right line. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's all, there's always a guy on the scene who's in charge of, uh, you know, the cover up squad. Mm-hmm. So, so that's um, cigarette those, smoking. Those Everyone's got d- their own cigarette smoking man. That's, that's overseeing everything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that's just the thing that, uh, um, and, you know, and I know that I, I, I know yet I sound paranoid talking about this stuff and I, and I fully recognize that. And I'm actually fine with people thinking that the first time they hear this stuff, it sounds crazy. Like I, I recognize that, but, but there will be another shooting. There will be another event. There will be another thing that, that goes on. And just, I just in, invite people to look at it just as a, thought experiment, you know, look at it skeptically Mm -hmm. and start looking for some interesting things that you heard early on that you never hear after that. Sort of looking for, for images that, that seem unusual or people that just happen to be at the scene when you, Oh, or if a shooting happens to take place in the hometown of a major celebrity that then gives an anti-gun speech a couple of days later, things like that, things to watch out for. (laughs) And while he's giving his speech in the white house press room, he uh, cracks a big smile, which is totally unnatural when when you're you're talking about about kids. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently that mm-hmm. is what you do for, for when you're sad about kids from, from what I've seen, but you know. apparently, I mean, I've seen it happen enough times that, uh, that maybe it is real. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Charlie, we've only really scratched the surface. Well, not of just this topic, but, of, but of everything you dive into, um, I, more than each and every week, I think you do about two a week, uh, on macroaggression. Yep. So why don't you just let everybody know how they can obviously I have smart listeners. They know how to find podcasts, but let everybody, everybody know how they can find, uh, you know, macroaggressions, your books, anything else you want to plug, feel, to, feel free to plug away. Sure. Well, thanks uh, for, for one, thank you for having me on. I, I enjoy talking. I know that I recognize this as dark topic, right? And, and I know that nobody wants to talk about. I like to think we, we covered it in the most lighthearted way you could cover something this serious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there's certainly a boundary where you don't want to, you don't want to go, but uh, yeah, for people that are interested in my, my work as an audio podcast, macroaggressions goes out twice a week, once as a monologue, once as an interview, 
Um, in video format, you can find it on, find it on band.video, Rockfin, Odyssey, and Vigilante.tv. The website is theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Macroaggression. And I'm definitely, I'm, I've kind of joked, like, if I wasn't on a watch list before that domestic terrorist episode, I will be now. So uh, I'd say follow me on Twitter for as long as I'm there, but uh, we all know right, that's yeah. not If you're last. not on the list now, what's what's the point of the list, really? I mean, come on. Um, but Charlie, thank you so much for joining me. I believe you're going to stick around with me for a little bit. We're going to, if you thought this was crazy, we're going to get a lot crazier in the bonus segment uh, for the premium listeners. So stick around there. But uh, until then, thanks so much, Charlie. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you coming on and thanks for coming on my show. Thank you. All right, kitties, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Charlie Robinson. And as always, we get a little wilder, a little more crazy in the smoke-filled room bonus segment available exclusively for premium subscribers all over the place. Patreon, subscribe star, Rockfin. Uh, you can support me however and wherever you like. Patreon.com slash Show. You can also find the links to subscribe star and Rockfin over at MarkClaire.com. Don't forget now, Rockfin's pretty cool because if you're already on there, you can just follow me on there as well. Uh, if you're already supporting some other you know, artists on there, great. You can already access myself. That's what's cool about Rockfin. You support one person, you sign up for that creator, you get everybody's bonus content. So you can pay eight bucks on Patreon, eight bucks on Subscribestar, or for just two bucks more on Rockfin, you get access to my content as well as every other creator on there. And there are some amazing ones, including today's guest, Charlie Robinson. So be sure to check that out. We also have, I'm very happy to announce, my very first Lucky 77 patron over on Patreon. That is where we have different tiers that you're not going to see on Rockfin. Um, but Lucky 77 patrons, they get all the bonus content. They get to come to the happy hours that people get the $33 level. Uh, discounts on all my services. I do podcast editing, podcast promotion, uh, consultations. They get a 25% discount on all of that stuff. And they also get to choose between a consultation with me, yours truly, on podcasting, um, side income, anything like that, marketing, personal branding, or they can, as our first 77, lucky 77 patron has chosen to do this month, they can get a mention on this show for a product or service. And in this case, our very first lucky 77 patron is Jared Wall, a great guy, a Ron Paulian, if you will, who's been following me since the Lions of Liberty days, and he runs a company called THC Hemp Spot. And what's great about THC Hemp Spot, they have taken advantage of the demand for cannabis products, the demand for THC, and the federal regulations that have allowed certain products of the Delta 8 variety, specifically in this case, to be legal. So in most states, I don't know every state, you got to check check yourself here, uh, but you can get THC Delta 8 products delivered to you completely legal. I would never tell you to do something illegal. Um, and Jared won't send you something to a place that would be illegal either. So do check out thchempspot.com. And if you use promo code a very special promo code. That's a special for a lot of reasons. A lot of people don't know how to spell my name. They think they do, but then they still like to put that K on there. There's no K in my name, my friends. So if you go to thchempspot.com, choose whatever products you want. You also get free shipping on orders over $100. But if you use promo code MARK, you got to spell it right though, M-A-R-C. If you use promo code MARK, you are going to get an extra 15% off the already very reasonably priced hemp products over at thchempspot.com. So do check that out. And thank you so much to Jared Wall uh, for becoming my first lucky 77 patron. I'm very excited about that. Thank you very much, Jared. Uh, huge help to me. And with that being said... 
Now, it's been another it's been another day, my friends. Go check out the premium edition. You're not going to want to miss it. It really got crazy. We got into some wild stuff. We talked about our thoughts on space, on the stuff that NASA puts out there. Is it real? Is it fake? We also talked about a crazy story that Charlie had uh, involving something you should just Google after you see the extended version, of course, something called the Nazi bell, an experience that he was able to relay, uh, secondhand experience, but a pretty crazy one nonetheless. So check all of that out in the premium extended versions of this program. Again, available on Patreon, Subscribestar, Rockfin, however you like. Until next time, my friends, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs>